0: The Naughty List A Good omen Spotvick, written by Entangled Now, and read by Jug. Summary Aziraphale has been encouraging Crowley to get into the spirit of things, but he most certainly hadn't meant like this. Aziraphale will admit that a large part of why he lost this time of the year is the food. The menus slowly fill with mulled wine and stolen, mince-pies and lebkuchen, the finest soft and hard gingerbreads, sticky dates, marzipan, and chocolate-coated nuts. It is the festive season, after all, so he allows himself to indulge of trying a bit of everything if only to see if the recipes have changed from one year to the next crowley refrains from commenting on the rather repetitive christmas carols being piped through what sound like very low-quality speakers though he's currently giving off an obvious air of demonic grumpiness which is directed towards the seasonal festivities ziraphale assumes though how much of it is genuine, and how much is a long habit, he couldn't say. Couldn't we have gone anywhere else? Crowley asks, and there's a lazy drawl to the words, as if he's trying to talk over the music for as long as possible. Their dark-spiced gingerbread here is absolutely delicious, Aziraphale explains as if Crowley hadn't drifted them both in this direction unprompted. This is, after all, the season of peace, goodwill, and generosity. For all its commercialization, it still has a tendency to bring out the best in people, a layer of good deeds and friendship, of love and charity, all simmering on top of the familiar hum of mankind. Oh. He knows that some of it can be a little forced, a touch strained at the edges, but people are trying, and the feeling warms him inside. This time of the year has always been so full of hope, even if the early traditions were more about burning offerings to make sure spring returned to the land, or hiding gifts of food to save the hungry spirits of winter but, as they say, it's the thought that counts. Broly is still scowling, though. This place is gaudy and loud, and there's a small child smearing wet candy-cane sugar across every table they pass. I'm not sure any amount of holiday spices make up for this. He seems to be including his own cup of spiced coffee there, too, though he'd been enjoying it well enough a moment ago. Aziraphale lets his eyebrows rise behind a mince pie and the volume of an excitable man screaming, It's Christmas! lowers somewhat. I thought you liked the spices. The atmosphere ruins them, Crowley says, Possibly just to be contrary. Hot-spice drinks are made for cold evenings and secrets and moonless nights, clandestine meetings, not ugly tinsel, paper heads and plastic figurines. I suppose you can't be expected to feel the joy of the season, as Erephil allows, Crowley frowns what's that supposed to mean zirafil would have thought that was rather obvious well you're a demon there's really nothing for you to do now is there the peace on earth and goodwill to all men leaves you somewhat at a loose end i can understand that might be frustrating and you certainly couldn't be seen to be joining in Or bringing any cheer. I rarely saw you around Christmas in the past. I suppose I assumed you locked yourself away in some gloomy place until people had taken down all the lights, opened all the presents, and gone home. Perhaps to worry how they are possibly going to use up ten pounds of turkey without the aid of distant relatives. You think? I just ignore it. Crowley's tone suggests he'd taken a face comment more to heart than he intended, but really, it's not so silly an assumption to make. Don't you? he asks, dusting powdered sugar off his fingers. He finds that he's genuinely curious now. I? have imagined in the past that you simply take to your bedroom and sleep away the period of festivity and joy crowley sets his cup down none too gently it's not all about festivity and joy as you well know some people spend all year dreading going home where they face a wafer-thin veneer of holiday spirit layered over the same judgment, scorn, belittling remarks, and disappointment they remember. There's still work for demons at Christmas, Azerafair. Azerafair sighs, because that at least he can't contradict. I grant you, for some people, it can be a difficult time, but on the whole. It brings people together. The traditions, the memories of childhood, the visits from rarely seen family members. Gathering together, showing your best self, trying to be kind to your fellow man, to forgive. For as long as the seasonal mood lasts, Crowley cuts in. Just because it's temporary doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It's a tradition. Crowley's bark of derision startles an old man peeling foil off a chocolate biscuit. Oh, it's tradition. Said great store by tradition, do you? People have had so many over the years. We've seen lots of traditional things. A lot of obedience to rules they no longer remember or understand do you remember how they used to encourage the crops to ripen crowley gives him a pointed look over the top of his sunglasses aziraphale pouts back over his pink eyed lebkuchen because it's not the same christmas traditions are altogether different don't you think he says firmly he's been in an excellent mood for the last few days and he refuses to let Crowley puncture it. I understand if you'd rather bow to what's expected of you. I'm just saying that now we're both free, you're under no obligation to behave as if you hate everything, that no one would think less of you if you wanted to get into the spirit of things. I think indulging a little in a few human traditions would be nice. We've been doing it for millennia, after all. Crowley points a face at that, like Zerophil had suggested, something distasteful. What, you want me to hang up a stocking? Leave mince pies out for Nick? The sarcasm he puts in that last-clicking consonant is uncalled for. I'm sure he'd appreciate it, Zirafil offers, as if that was a perfectly normal question. It is a busy night for him. Crowley looks torn between irritation and fondness, which he clearly hates. I'm just saying... It wouldn't hurt to get into the spirit of things crowley get into the spirit of things there's an odd considering tone to the words which zirphil hopes means that crowley is taking his suggestion seriously Aziraphale is surprised and disappointed when Crowley decides to head home after they leave the restaurant. It's just past four and not quite dark yet, but he explains that he has some things of his own to tend to over the next few days. Aziraphale had been counting on them having lunch together tomorrow as well. He was going to invite Crowley round for the coming Saturday, hoping they could spend it together. He'd planned a small speech to convince him, and had been fully prepared to break out the rarely used polite request, or perhaps the even more rare, please. But now he's facing the possibility that Crowley really will sleep through Christmas entirely, before popping up for drinks on New Year's Eve, as he has done many a time before. Oh, it's not the only New Year's Eve of the year, but it's the one of them that's always felt more like a reunion than others. Still, there are other years, other Christmases. They have a future together now, and that means more to him than anything else. He doesn't want to... doesn't want to push. He settles down in his armchair with a book, a steaming cup of tea, and a mince pie, trucking himself into the cushions. It's another cold night, and he can tell by the feel of the air that it's due to start snowing in a few hours. What better place to be than tucked up in someone else's imagination? One book turns into two, the night slowly and inexorably etching towards morning as he reads. The bookshop has become oddly dark around him. He's quite certain that he encouraged the lamps to stay lit, as he always does until morning, or, more rarely, until he retires for the night. But the lamps are now so dim he can barely see into the stacks which is very strange. Aziraphil lifts a hand, intending to bring illumination back, when he hears the scraping grate of something deeper in the bookshop. He's so surprised that his hand does nothing for a moment but hover in mid-air. Someone else is in the shop, someone other than him. No one is supposed to be able to enter except him and Crowley. Unwelcome visitors from heaven or hell would have to break or malform his wards to enter, and he would certainly have felt that. He closes his book without a sound. Zerofi considers calling into the dark. Whatever it is lurking within clearly already knows he's here already knows that he's sitting in the chair by the brightest lamp, reading without a care in the world, without noticing that something had crept its way inside. It's a horribly disturbing thought. Hello? There's no reply, nothing but a strangely oppressive and heavy-shadowed silence. It washes over him, and he can tell that there's a demonic nature to it, with a familiar sort of flavor. Aziraphale blinks. Crowley, is that you? A car passes on the street outside, its lights through the window, briefly illuminating the rise of two large, spiraling horns on a stretch of dark wood. Aziraphale turns to where the figure should be, but there's no one there, just a dark shelf filled with books. Crowley, what on earth are you doing? This time there's a sound in reply, the unexpected but steady clack of hoofs on old wood, though a horse has no business inside his shop. He sets the book he was reading down. The lamp beside him brightens at his command, but the rest are reluctant to give anything but a weak throb of light, as if something is blocking him, some darkness blanketing all corners of the room. What's going on? A figure rises in front of him. He has a fleeting look at giant horns in a tumble of frost red hair, a wide mouth with a curled red tongue, a large glossy hoofs settled on his best rug, and a flare of yellow eyes in the dark. It's most certainly Crowley, though he's changed himself rather drastically. He's much taller, towering above a Zirphil's chair now. His body is less snake-like and more of a traditional haunt demon, which is both striking and rather unsettling. "'Naughty angel!' Crowley growls, as though he's making a pronouncement rather than teasing. "'Into the sack with you!' Before a 0 Fear can protest, a ragged linen and hamsack that smells like coal and dirt is thrown over his head, collecting his arms and legs as he scooped up out of his chair and tumbled down inside its impossibly large interior with a shout of surprise. Crowley! He'd fallen into a ridiculous position his clothes sponged around him as he sawed up and into mid-air, the smelly sack material going taut around him. It's a very uncomfortable few minutes of him puffing his way out of an undignified upside-down position to something a little more upright, but by then he can already feel the way he'd been slung over a narrow but far larger-than-usual shoulder. He's been effectively kidnapped like some small, badly-behaved child. How dare Crowley simply come in and abscond with him while he was enjoying a nice night in with his books? Playing at... playing at... Oh, for heaven's sake, playing at being Krumpus! which is not at all what Aziraphale had had in mind during their earlier conversation. This was not festive. He'd been thinking about roasted turkey and drinking eggnog around a fire, perhaps a bit of sing-song, an exchange of gifts, which Crowley had known perfectly well. Crowley! Crowley let me out! When I told you to get into the spirit of things, this is not what I meant. He can tell that the sack is designed to muffle any noises from within, and he spends a moment being very cross about it. He can feel the sway and bounce that suggests Crowley had simply thrown the sack over his shoulder and headed out, intent on taking a zero field somewhere. He can hear the crunch of snow on her large hooves, the thud of tightly-packed frozen dirt underneath. Where on earth was he going? You know perfectly well that this is not what I meant when I spoke of Christmas traditions. Grumpus, indeed, as if he's a naughty child at Christmas. I will not be lucked about like a badly-behaved child. His protests go ignored, the sack swinging from side to side and rendering any attempts to properly right himself a frustrating affair doomed to fail. The snapping clack of hoofs suggests that they are now travelling across stone. A low vibration is rolling through the material he's bundled in, as if a great beast is growling or humming, or perhaps really this is not to be borne. kidnapping him right out of his bookshop he's never been so so he's honestly never experienced such a sudden and unexpected abduction before crowley had clearly planned it right after their lunch together the absolute villain though aziraphale will admit reluctantly that his anger is not nearly so great as a host of other emotions swirling underneath after six thousand years unique experiences are something of a delight and he knows perfectly well that crowley doesn't intend to harm him crowley won't but Crumpus might his brain offers helpfully which leaves his cheeks feeling unexpectedly warm. Aziraphale knows the legend perfectly well, of course he does. The great haunt Christmas spirit who abducts badly behaved children and purchases them sharply across the buttocks, demanding they behave next year, or else he gets to keep them forever. Crowley wouldn't, though. He pictures it. He can't have it now he's become part of the story himself, being bundled out of the sack at the shining hoofs of a towering spirit of Christmas, with no good explanations or reasoning for his extravagances and luxuries, his indulgences. The shame of it will show on his face. A pitiful thing he'll be, sprawled on the cold stone floor, being judged by something ancient and wild. Made to reflect on his past bad behavior with the knowledge that he'll face unexpected punishment for it. Punishment at Crowley's own hand. he perhaps try and stutter out some excuses, even as he's drawn up his trousers slipping down his thighs while he wriggles in embarrassed affront before he's hauled over a great furred lap and made to feel the thrashing stinging whip of birch branches across his naked buttocks oh good heavens the red flush of his cheeks isn't visible nor is the way he sweats a little more freely in his previously neat clothes. He doubts that Crowley intends. He can't possibly... He wouldn't. But Aziraphale can't quite help how flustered he feels at the thought of it. Their friendship has never been overtly physical, or in any way heated but the thought that Crowley will tumble him out of the sack and see instantly that Aziraphale would be a less-than-protesting captive, perhaps even an eager one. He honestly doesn't know if the thought shames or threatens him. Crowley, put me down this instant! He's ignored. There's a gruff, dismissive noise, and the jolting movement and sound of hoofs climbing— no descending stone steps. It's more than ten minutes longer before the bag he's in is adjusted and then sacks down, ending with a bump of his posterior against the floor. Before he even has a moment to complain about that, the end of the bag is grasped and it's turned upside it down. A zero tumbles out with a noise that perfectly captures the surprised irritation he's feeling if any other sounds creep free he's unwilling to admit them he ends up sprawled on the floor his head a mess of fluffy curls his jacket bunched his waistcoat buttons in terrible disarray growly how could you quiet crowley has claimed a large and honoured wooden throne carved with roaring beasts and soaring birds horns and antlers rising from the high back to join his own which are stunning giant twisting things standing dark and rich from a wealth of curled red hair he cuts such a majestic commanding picture that the rest of a Zerophil sentence dies in his throat, a cracked sort of protest coming out in its place. Whatever idle thoughts he may have had while bundled in the sack now bloom like wild roses in his stomach, spreading to fill the space. Crowley looks fierce and ancient and beautiful. This feels nothing less than a fairy tale come to life. feels snatched from the gaze of his superiors and taken to a kingdom far out of their reach to be judged by something otherworldly. Crowley considers him for a long moment and Aziraphale can see smoke gently curling from his nostrils and the corners of his mouth. His tongue is a bright red whip of a thing that slides and flutters far too long where it dips from his mouth. His demon, really, is very lovely like this. He's never been afraid of change, not like a fear. Christmas traditions, Crowley says pointedly. That's what you wanted, isn't it? He looks amused, and Zerofield suspects he is having a grand time. Isn't that what you wanted, for me to get into the spirit of things? The rumbling growl would be a devastatingly effective threat under any other circumstances. Aziraphale had spent so many of the early meetings contemplating how he could be in a situation where he should feel demonically threatened and yet be under no fear of harm. Even here, in this cavernous dungeon construct, which had clearly been built just for show and likely exists nowhere on earth, he feels nothing but safe. He knows exactly what Crowley is expecting, of course he does. A bit of huff, a complaint that he's missed the point entirely, that he's ruining it, and this is all very silly. Crowley will feel like he's won, and it will all be very amusing, very entertaining. The demon had likely put a lot of work into this for that very reaction. It's what a 0 film should do, of course. This is not the situation to throw all caution to the wind and into something very reckless indeed. But he spent close to half an hour in a sack contemplating things that have never felt so close to possible. It's amazing how many new things feel possible now. How many things he dismissed as dreams and nonsense that seem suddenly wickedly accessible to him. He pushes himself up on his hands, ignoring the rumpled sit of his clothes and the way one sleeve is still bunched at his elbow. He feels dishevelled and untidy, but somehow determined. Where have you brought me, creature? He lets his voice waver a little just a touch of a wobble in the attempt at firmness he makes a show of looking around the dark interior of the thematically appropriate but suspiciously clean stone dungeon rather a good job of an aesthetic he has to admit i i demand you return me this instant it's been a while since he'd taken part in anything close to acting, but needs must, or rather, not needs, desires. It's a thought which pulls redness to both cheeks and half his throat. He hopes and looks like righteous anger. Crowley, who had been affecting a posture that seemed perfectly prepared to face Aziraphale's normal disappointment, fuss and pique, freezes in a moment of confused indecision. The idea that a Xerophil might play along had clearly never occurred to him. I've done nothing wrong. You have no right to keep me here. It takes barely any time at all for Crowley to realize he means to continue, a little longer for him to decide what to do with this information. He shifts on his throne, his mouth open just enough for Aziraphale to see the considering roll of his tongue, the bright points of his sharp teeth. Aziraphale, he says slowly, the grinding breathy death still present in his voice. You have, he stops, seems to change his mind. Instead, he sets his hands to the arms of the throne and rises, hoofs shifting on the steps that lead up to it, taking him down. He is naked for all intents and purposes, though there is nothing but dense fur from his hips down, ending in the hard shapes of his hoofs i have brought you here because you have spent a whole year indulging yourself taking whatever you wished ignoring the needs of those closest to you every accusation brings crowley one step closer wallowing in ignorance and refusing to act in service of others he bites down on the last statement but doesn't take it back, mouth settling into a snarl instead. Taking unearned comforts as you do. Zierophil feels that judgment sink straight down into his belly and settle, not expecting the way it makes him feel, the way it tucks at something inside that had been out of the light for too long. You can't possibly know that he makes himself say have you been watching me i know where you are always the words are heavy as crowley takes another step closer to where Zeroville is steam curling from his bare chest the horns knocking the greenery hung above I have seen you press sugar treats between your lips while others go hungry. I have seen you claim the best seeds for yourself wherever you go. Seen you force others to toil and service to you, dismissing those with valid grievances to see to your own comfort. Part of a Zirafir feels like that's a bit much, but. The larger part of him finds himself sinking to his knees as Crowley stomps closer, a weight in his stomach yearning. A few minor comforts, nothing that would hurt anyone else, nothing that would cause pain. A large, glossy hoof finally reaches the stone in front of him, stamping down hard enough to crack it sending pieces scattering against his knees and fingers. A startled noise jumping out of him at the sound of it. He is so very warm all of a sudden. Do you know who I am? Crowley demands. As knows, this is important. Knows that Crowley isn't just asking him whether he knows what he is, but what he stands for, what he means, and where this will go if he doesn't protest. There is so much in the question, and Aziraphale can feel it. They have resisted for so long, endured in subtleties and suggestions and gestures. And silence, always in silence. This will throw all of that out of the window, and he knows Crowley isn't reckless enough to risk that without a confirmation. You're crampus, Ziverfield says quietly, and you intend to punish me, I expect. There's nothing but the sound of Crowley's breathing for a tense handful of seconds, and then the cracking sink of his towering form to the stone, the third muscle of his legs bending until one fire-warm hand holds the Aziraphale's head up by his chin and considers his red face. You can say Christmas. It is the magic word here. Speak it, and I am forbidden from troubling you further. Oh, If you feel your punishment is deserved, you will stay with me. You will submit to a birching and promise to be good for next year. Or perhaps you can work in my castle until you pay off your debt instead, where you will learn obedience and fairness, though, I warn you, you will find none of the latter with me. Zirafil doesn't have to pretend to shiver. He can feel the faint stroke of Crowley's fingers on his chin, the way he puts no small amount of emphasis on obedience. His face is familiar, even through the horns and fangs. His angular cheeks, curling doctor too, and yellow eyes, so very beloved that Aziraphale finds himself sinking into the rare and much-longed-for touch. Is this what you want? he wants to ask. Did you dare to imagine it when you set up this place? Did you wonder what it would be like if you really were abducting me to stay in your castle forever? To place me in your lap and spank me for my misdeeds? will it bring you pleasure as much as it would me so many questions and he has the courage to ask none of them do you think punishment is deserved krampus he asks instead he's fairly certain that the naughty stone children don't get to ask so many questions but doing so makes crowley's eyes widen just a little the gold already spread from corner to corner the specks of darkness tumbling in them azirafield so rarely gets to see his eyes so wide or so close left open like this the raw truth of crowley inside this haunt spirit of christmas i would certainly not balk from teaching you manners, Crowley admits. It's quite, and more than a bit rough. A threat of vulnerability to the honesty of it. Aziraphale can't help the tremble he gives. He tells himself it's because he hasn't thought this through, hasn't considered hasn't taken a moment to actually picture being thrown over Crowley's lap and disciplined with a bunch of young branches, which he knows will sting and burn and leave his behind as red as a ripe apple. But he knows perfectly well that trepidation and fear alone don't leave your heart pounding like this, don't leave your fingers tingling and your thighs so eager to squeeze. It seems Crowley has taken her silence for a scent. There's a wave towards the throne, and the previously bare arm carved with various forest animals now sports a collection of thin branches, peeled and tied together with red cord. They wait there, Filled with the potential that Aziraphale does find himself a little afraid of, but most of what he's feeling is certainly not fear. It is eagerness, and excitement, and gratitude, and an odd sort of freedom. Let them be this. Let them be whatever they want together. Finally. He doesn't resist when the hand holding his jaw slides down, the fingers curling hot at the curve of his throat, where his pulse pounces beneath the skin, the thumb drags there bravely as if in indulgence before it grips beneath his bow tie and his rumpet shirt collar. He's given no choice but to look Krampus in the face. Stand and present yourself for punishment the words clack out between fangs a rumble no longer devoid of eagerness or pleasure which leaves azivafil feeling dizzy and unmoored to be in this thing together he's distracted enough by the idea that he isn't quite sure what crowley is demanding for a moment though his pause appears too long because another hand finds his shirt and jacket drawing him up on his feet with a strength he's not expecting present yourself if you force me to do it myself i will not be kind with your clothing oh oh aziraphale wonders briefly if he should struggle a little make crowley do as he's threatened and take his clothes from him, drag him down over his lap to be perched for his bad behavior. He wonders if disobedience this early in the proceedings will ensure that his punishment is more severe than it might have been. Now, as Iverfield jumps, hands moving quickly and shakily to his buttons, hastily tugging the small objects through so their neat holes, failing to pull them in the right direction twice, even as his waistcoat sacks open. He stops unbuttoning when he realizes that Crowley is laughing, a rumbling hitch of his shoulders, tongue curling against his cheek and terrible amusement. He holds tight to his waistcoat, self-conscious in the face of such obvious amusement. What? Why strip yourself bare if you wish, naughty thing? But I only require access to your plump behind. A zebrafere colors again at the words, cursing himself for a silly fool for attempting to undress completely. Of course, he's to be sprawled over Kramper's lap, his clothes shoved up and down, wriggling there and resisting the quick clashes of a bird rod, and suffering the humiliating indignity of it. An indignity? Oh, he's sure if it felt like more of an indignity than a monstrously appealing delight, then he would find himself less flustered, less clumsy, less red about the face and neck. The closer it comes the more you will acquire an extra lash for every minute you keep me waiting. The words crack their way straight through Zerofield's thoughts, and he's tugging at his belt, pushing trousers and underwear down, with the bravery he's not sure he fears. They've seen each other there before, of course. But it's always been such a harmless thing, natural and unremarkable. They've never had cause to look, or or more than look. And any brief moments of admiration and indulgence were done so subtly as to be forgiven. But not now, and he burns a little with it. He's not sure that what Crony is doing now could be classed as simply looking. He appears to be examining him in minute detail, circling him on the stone in great clacking paces. The way his trousers sack on his hips, knees and ankles, the tremble of his thighs, his exposed buttocks. He's still wearing his shoes, even. He must look perfectly ridiculous. It's almost impossible to hide the effect the whole thing is having on him, the way his penis now juts stiffly from between one undone shirt button and its accommodating hole. He's uncertain how much extra punishment he's incurred before he's being tucked up the steps, almost trapping and losing his desperate grip on his trousers feeling them slither down his thighs to catch briefly on his knees before falling completely the noise he makes at the loss is shaken into a far different one when crowley gathers him under the arms and pulls he's falling but not very far Crowley's unexpectedly large and deeply furred thighs catching him in the belly and chest, his legs dangling half in the air in a way that would have been impossible if Crowley wasn't now closer to seven and a half feet tall. Oh, please don't, the Zerofield squeaks out, not entirely sure he means to. Begging will do you no good though feel free to continue. I think I would like to hear it. That might be as close as Crowley can get in their current situation to telling him he'd appreciate a fear continuing their game. Though in the position he's in, it's hard not to stay in character. He can accomplish very little face down over his lap on the throne the obvious hardness of his stick tucked against the furred thigh, his buttocks indecently displayed for Crowley's mistreatment. A victim of Krampus's cruel abduction. Though Aziraphale has never felt completely at another's mercy, he thinks perhaps he understands now the strange allure of it. The knowledge that he's to receive his just deserts. He can feel the shape of excitement and of trepidation, the mix of them sweet and sharp in a way that he finds horribly appealing. He's aware that this will hurt, that he will feel every single swing, every biting lash in his corporation, perhaps deeper than his corporation. He trusts Crowley would never purposely hurt him. But he's not currently Crowley. He's Krampus, correcting a badly behaved bookshop owner into seeing the error of his wicked ways. Nothing could be more certain than the—the whistling sound of something traveling through the air interrupts his thoughts for the briefest second— before his bottom is very certainly alive with a stinging flare of heat and pain, a burn that blooms even as his body jolts under the impact. Ah! The air chokes in his throat, and he grips at Krampus' legs, the warm fur tangled between his fingers. It hurts, it hurts an astonishing amount. He can't quite remember how to relax his thighs, his legs flailing for purchase. No, stop! I can't! His face is flaming, his hands in fists, but his dick is so hard that the reflexive jab against Crowley's leg leaves his insides filling with heat. He had somehow known he would like this that he would find the whole shape of it somehow a perfect fit. Silly angel that he was, he wasn't stupid. Part of him had always been looking for punishment, has been expecting it, fearing it. But to have this, this stinging and well-deserved pain offered by the being he loves the most. And the please don't the birch rod comes down again lands with a ringing snap where he thought he had more than enough cushioning to numb the impact he'd been so very wrong krampus lifts the rod again lashes his behind in the same spot and then again above and below making every new part as sore as the first. The fourth time it strikes, the birch crosses the lines already left to cross his stinging buttocks. Aziraphale howls and begs for it to stop. But he does not say Christmas, because the very last thing he wants is for this whole thing to end. Please! No, please! Enough! Stop! I'll be good! He knows he's crying, but he doesn't feel sad. Quite the opposite. He feels warm, so very warm, thrilled and overwhelmed. Some old and too heavy thing floating out of him with every sobbing protest. He's stinging so perfectly under Crowley's firm hand. Please don't! Any hope of keeping the vague, distant awareness of his old, reliable body is a memory. He's never been so viscerally aware of every patch of skin, every flexing muscle, every nerve, every shivering inch of his bottom, which feels reddened beyond his ability to bear. It's beautiful and terrible, and he grips tight to Crowley's great thigh and sobs. Aziraphale has always had a tendency to fret and fuss and worry. He's always felt that there was so much he needed to control, to keep running, to hold level, usually conflicting and worrisome things which resisted him tangled together. Silly things and important things alike. But he's never felt this much before in his life. Never so much that he has absolutely no control over at all. He's a wriggling, stinging, wailing thing. His bottom throbbing as much as his cock as he moves to get away, and moves to press closer, stuck in the contradiction of it all. The birch strikes him again, and he feels his buttocks flinch and sting and ache at the impact. Twice more across the fleshy lower side, so close to the tender hang of his balls that he briefly knows fear for some strange reason that only makes it sweeter that threat of genuine terror and pain he grips tight to crowley's fur and submits accepts. weeps some strange eager joy so sharp that it almost chokes him he can feel the constant low roughness of crowley's breathing and he's no stranger to the fact that he is no longer the only one of them whose cock is now stiff with blood. He can feel the way Crowley's jabs at his belly, a solid branch of a thing that has him spreading his thighs on the next strike. In no doubt that his asshole is now visible. He's not sure if that's a demand or an offering. The very thought of Crowley lashing him there has him rutting, helplessly, against a furred thigh. The noises he's making are no longer so much a wailing protest as desperate, confused hitches of breath that escape as shaking moans. Crowley stops, the young bound branches coming to rest against the solid arm of the throne he sits on fear, the breathy croak is an inch away from apologetic, as if suddenly, faced with the sight of a raw stripe behind and trembling thighs, has shaken him free of the part he'd been playing, and quite masterfully at that. Oh, Grampus, please, no more, I'll be good. The words catch when a paint wiggle pulls another moan out of him. I can't take any more. I've learned my lesson. Crowley takes a great shuddering breath, and then one of his large hands settles on a zewerfield's back, easing his shirt tails up as if to take a better look at his poor behind, which must look aside. It flames unbearably so almost enough to steal the breath from him. You did take your punishment very well, Crowley says at last. His hand slides down, thump catching on the redness of half a dozen marks, stroking over them in prickets of fire. Oh you say that you have learnt your lesson. Zerofield shivers, knows that there is some perfect, blissful place waiting for him, if he agrees. He has learned his lesson. He has learned many lessons today. Yes, please. There's a rolling rumble of sound, as if in consideration, or of a great need restraint. And... You swear to behave from now on until Christmas? Yes, from now on until next, as you feel not desperately, but doesn't let himself say the word. He needs, he needs something he can't quite name. Yes. Crowley doesn't miss the way he skips over it, a long shaking sigh falling out of him. His hand slides lower, and Aziraphale hisses, buttocks flinching as a palm smooths over his pain. A slow and strange indulgence to it that throbs and hurts in a way that makes Aziraphale drop his head and pound hard. Ill were these for a while. There's definitely satisfaction in that, which leaves the all but pressing back into the slow sweeps of hand. Crowley's fingers cool, but so cruel on that burning heat. I will, I will remember. Every time he sits down, days and days of discomfort, and the memory of being led over Crowley's lap and spanked in a coat. Christmas-themed dungeon. Good heavens, he's not entirely sure how they got here, but he's quite certain he doesn't want to be anywhere else. He wants to be here to be this new thing that hurts and submits and laughs terribly and shamelessly for a while. He spreads his thighs on the next descending slide, Crowley's smallest finger grazing his arsehole, which gives a slow clench. He hears the low growl, feels the way Crowley's cock twitches beneath him. There's the faintest pressure, and between the tangled swirls of sensations, a xerophil moans aloud. Alone? choked-off curse is his only answer, and then Crowley's finger rubs, presses. I see you want to start proving how good you can be. Crowley's words are rough, all edges, though something about them feels more like a question. One last question for him yes ziverfield says instantly sparing no thought at all krampus please don't touch me again i'll be good i'll be very good i'll do anything he really would do anything anything crowley wants a long grating hiss is followed by a hand in his hair tangling and then turning his head, making him look up at Crowley's haunt visage, the unnaturally white set of his shoulders, the long curl of a red tongue. Yellow eyes consider his tear-stained face, as if judging whether this is what he really wants. Let me be good for you, Ziverfield says. Please, no more, and I'll do, as you say. Crowley grunts agreement, somewhere beyond words, or perhaps deciding he'll do better with actions. Aziraphale is put on his knees before the throne, his buttocks protesting with annoying displeasure at the movement as he sinks between Crowley's large fur thighs. It makes the solid jut of his cock very obvious, and it's a beast of a thing, rising thick and hard with a reddened, swollen head, a glisten of arousal beating at the tip. It's clear what Crowley expects him to do, and he finds that he doesn't want to prolong the game, not when it would be easier to just lean in and lick at the head. It's hot against his tongue, the taste of it stronger than he's expecting, an almost familiar heavy musk that leaves him mouthing and kissing the length until it shines wet. The chance to give pleasure to Crowley, to show him how much he's wanted him, to give everything he has, leaves him moaning as he plays his tongue over the heat of it. It's a wonderfully new exploration, and Xerophic can't resist attempting to take the white hat fully into his mouth. His hands flutter and finally grip, one at a thigh and one around the hot base, his fingers barely meeting. His lewd worship becomes something more obscene as his lips stretch around it, mouth sucking at what he can draw inside he's never felt so warm so tight and restless with arousal his own body a mix of discomfort and shuddering pleasure a rumbling sound of surprise and desperate lust floats down from above a hand slides into the curls of his hair clutching tight and encouraging him down the hard length of cock stretching his cheeks. Oh at it with your mouth. You'll be glad of it when I spread your buttocks and fuck the hole you've flaunted so nicely. xerophile moans at the words, saliva dribbling free to slide down as he tries to work the length of it further in which is a greater task than he'd anticipated for all that his mouth is enjoying the effort the idea of having it inside him causes more than a little trepidation he knows it will stretch him so very tight and so wide he'll scarce be able to do more than grip the throne and gasp his way through crowley's desires which if they play this game to the end, maybe to use him sorely. His arsehole clenches at a thought, his sex full and heavy with the want of it, as he sucks at what he's managed to pull inside his mouth, feeling Crowley urge him lower, deeper, as if determined to have that entire cock in his throat. Aziraphale feels his own jump and dribble onto the bare stone at a thought. He is more than willing, always, if that's what Crowley wants. This delicious play they have found themselves in, a pocket of existence just for them. No one to witness, no one to see, nothing to explain. Instead, he's urged up as crowley rises base the throne one knee on the arm grab the wood and make an offering of yourself an offering you will be and i will have you until i am satisfied words roll out fast one hand dropping to squeeze at the base of that large cock now shiny from a mouth a zero dizzy with the command puts himself into the position requested his trousers have long fallen free entirely his shirt-tails merely batted out of the way as his hips are pulled back the rounded peach of his behind striped and raw he hisses genuine pain when crowley grips his buttocks and spreads them hard revealing the furl of his anus and the soft hang of his balls. For a moment, Azirafi thinks that perhaps Crowley intends to simply drive in, and feels faintly feverish at the thought. But then he registers the sudden suggestion of slickness and warmth, his body obeying a command to be oiled and pliable. To be ready for Krampus's Use It happens so fast, one moment he's adjusting his grip, feeling deeply sore and empty and exposed, then there's the hard nudge of a cock against his asshole, pushing into his body, demanding that he open and take it, that he be tight and warm around it. Crawley's new form is so large, Aziraphir feels the burn as he pushes his way inside, the stretching ache of his rim joining the pain in his mistreated buttocks. Buck, Aziraphir, it goes on for so long. There's so much of him, but Aziraphir groans and takes everything he's given sobbing a noise when Crowley's large, furred pelvis finally meets the sensitive heat of his lashing. It doesn't end there. The demon draws back immediately and then thrusts into him again, working up to a hard, demanding pace, his desire relentless. Rumpus doesn't release his throbbing buttocks, as if he wishes a field to be as open as possible. Another thrust steals the breath from him. The next has his fingers digging into the wood. He would swear that Crowley's cock widens with every thrust, the stretch of his rim leaving a groan in his throat. His poor buttocks hurt his insides a tight coil. His mouth is open, panting every breath, knowing that Crowley is watching the way he opens around him. His knuckles are white, his raised leg shaking back and forth as he's taken in greedy thrusts. He's making noises he would never have imagined hearing from himself. His stiff cock bouncing, he feels so close already, and it seems like madness. He can't possibly, can't possibly. Large hooves clack on the stones as Crowley widens his stance, every snapping thrust harder and faster. A zero fear can no longer hold the bitten plea for more. He feels stripped completely bare, left open and raw, hollowed out, as if Crowley is making sure no other will ever fill the space he's making inside him. He's far too big to take, but somehow Aziraphale has made himself a perfect fit. Crowley is sinking so deep and Aziraphale has no defense against that. He can do nothing but feel it. The constant rubbing thrusts have him shuddering in orgasm within minutes, pulsing and spilling hard against the back of the throne. Obscene streaks and dribbles across the wood. Crowley doesn't stop, doesn't give him a moment of respite, The thrusts of him, if anything, are more intent than before. Great heaving bursts of air flaring down against his back. Shivers of bliss ripple through his oversensitive body. Every fresh drive into him a delicious, prickling burn. Aziraphale feels limp and dizzy, shaking with the delirium of it you are certainly being very good for me perhaps i shall keep you in my castle strip you and use you whenever i see fit yes oh goodness yes no please the protest the pretence at helplessness has arousal cawing through him don't you can't The bouncing weight of his cock stiffens again, though he's not entirely sure how. His overstretched hole burns, his buttocks sting like an inferno. His skin feels alive in so many ways. Everything inside him and outside him feels hot and tight and eager to be gripped and held, And used. Crowley leans down, his tongue curling around a xerophil's neck, holding his head up as his hips work furiously. It forces a xerophil into a curved shape, denying him the sight of his own hard sex as it juts obscenely forward and jolts through the rough treatment. Grumpus! I promise to be good! I promise! Fuck oh, Crowley! His second orgasm is a twisting, cawing bliss, leaving him clenching down hard on what now feels impossibly large inside him. Crowley doesn't seem to be expecting it, because he drives in deep and tight with a startled choke, and Eva feels the hot spill of the demon's own release inside him an endless minute of twitching and grinding against his abuse behind before crowley eventually goes still curves into the back of him hands tight on his waist a floats for a little while eventually feeling large hands gently stroking his arms and thighs, soothing him and murmuring his name before the still half-hard cock inside him withdraws completely, leaving a wash of cum to slide down the back of his thighs, which he finds wonderfully lewd in this strange floaty space where all he can hear is his own heartbeat. Cromley! He feels himself being slowly drawn down into the throne. His body carefully settled on an unmarked hip lying against Crowley's swan chest. Angel! The word is still rough, still the grumbling growl of a horned beast. But it is, and always has been, a voice that a zero loves very much. He reaches a hand up to grasp a heavy horn and draws his demon down. His mouth is so warm when it presses against his own, and it seems reluctant to leave after finally learning the shape of it. That was very nice, Aziraphale murmurs, feeling as though he might sleep for a while. Very fasted. The last thing he hears is Crowley's slow, hissing laughter. The End